Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin, along with my co-host, Bruce Kelly. We are talking today about creating content and uh, marketing at the financial advisory firm level. We have a wonderful guest, a good friend of mine, Megan Carpenter, Chief Executive Officer of FICOM Partners. Megan, how you doing? I am hanging in there. Thanks for having me, Jeff and Bruce. Good to talk to you. Well, well, thank you for being here. I want to I want to start off by asking you, Megan, to to kind of give us a little bit of a, a description of of Ficom Partners and kind of the path that you've uh, traveled in the what what ten years since the firm has been launched, right? Sure. I'll try to give you an abbreviated version. I've been doing marketing for financial advisors my entire career, so almost twenty years. I got started in the insurance broker-dealer world. I worked for two of John Hancock Financial Network's largest OSJs, which have over 100 advisors affiliated with each. And so I've had this tremendous experience of working alongside financial advisors and watching them build their own you know, marketing strategies and tactics and executing those and, and watching sort of some of the really exciting wins and also some of the struggles. And I started my own business back in 2012, so almost 10 years ago. And at FICOM, we help advisors and advisory firms to really extend the impact of their financial advice through new school communication. So through connecting with people in a really authentic and meaningful way and in a way that drives their business forward. And that includes all of the marketing and PR strategies you can imagine. So we do everything from branding to digital, social, public relations, content marketing, everything in between. But we're really big on helping to amplify, you know, the unique voice of the advisor, like I said, to help them create a meaningful connection that drives business. And so I've done this my entire career. I've seen the good, the bad, and the super ugly of advisor marketing. So I'm happy to be here today and I'm totally game to talk about whatever you guys want to talk about. The yeah, super well, ugly. The super Megan ugly. Says. Mm -hmm. That's that's what uh listeners today will get some get some advice from Megan. I can't wait to hear about that. That <laughs> that they might have to ordinarily pay for. So uh uh pay attention, folks. Um, because we're gonna talk about what start off talking about content creation. It's uh it's a new year, maybe people have new uh resolutions and goals. For the year ahead, um, Megan, kind of kick it off a little bit for for content creation. I mean, as a as a kind of casual observer of the financial advisory business, I see a lot of this. I see blogs. We all get the email uh, newsletters and stuff like that. And what do you do to stand out? And what's some kind of you know? Let's kind of lay out some ground rules for this strategy. You have to do it, right? You can't just sit there and think customers are going to come to you, right? Today, more than ever, you really do have to market. You know, I've been in this industry, like I said, for almost 20 years. And I think what I'm most excited about as a marketer is that today advisors really are paying much more attention to marketing than they have in the past, but still don't necessarily understand it. And it is absolutely critical to growing a business. It is very important to building a team. And it is important for client retention as well. So it's sort of, you know, having a great marketing and PR plan cuts across your prospect, your client experience, your um, employee experience. And so it's, it's critical. And Jeff, when you and I were talking about coming on the podcast, which I was excited about because I'm a big fan of the show, I listen every week. So if you have one, one listener every week, it's me. All right. And <laughs> we have half a listener though. How does that work? I don't, uh... 
Maybe I don't finish the shows, but I usually do. <laughs> the, the last one was a little bit long, but no, I'm, I'm a fan. So I was excited to think about where we could potentially add some value to your listeners. And I think that where there's a huge opportunity for advisors today is to think about the type of content that they're putting out. And marketing has just become, it's, it's sort of been this mystery for advisors, right? Like they're very good at developing relationships. Typically, they're very good at sort of their expertise and, and the, the technical ex- aspects of what they do. But marketing is usually sort of this like weird mirage, like I don't really know what happens over there. And so mm-hmm. I wanted to think about how could we really add value? And I think that there's a lot of noise in the industry about all of these specific tactics, like how many days a week you should be posting on social media, should, should you or should you not do search engine optimization? Should you launch a podcast? Do you need to be on YouTube? How much money should you be spending? Megan, could I just interrupt you? Yeah. Um, first of all, define for us, what is marketing? Marketing is anything that you're putting out to the external world. And I am working from home right now. So if you hear a baby crying in the background, that's my four month old. We like to say, just like name the elephant in the room when you're working from home and something might be going on in the background. So that's my baby. If you heard that, um, but marketing is really anything that you're putting out to the outside world. It's your message. It's your voice. It's what attracts people to your business. Great. So I think that the opportunity for advisors today is to really think about the type of content that they're putting out there, because if you don't have great content, if you do not have content that is meaningful, that is authentic, that feels real, and that resonates with your target audience, it does not matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're on social. It doesn't matter what you do with your website. It doesn't matter if you're using email. None of it matters if you're not putting out great content. So that's what I thought we could talk a little bit about today is essentially mm-hmm. like, how can advisors create content that, that doesn't suck? You know, how can advisors create content that's actually going to bring people in, in a very meaningful way? Do most advisors create their own content? Or I know there are, there are services out there. I see them all the time that, that provide or make content for advisory firms. And my other part of that question is, is this just for the small firms or do the larger firms have their own internal teams making content for them? And, and, and again, the universal term we're using content, that's, that's all of the above, right? Blogs, newsletters, anything maybe facebook twitter yeah yeah webinars that you might host if you're sending out newsletters if you're inviting someone to an event like anything that you're creating and putting out there to the world is is content and Mm -hmm. jeff to answer your question there are advisors that create really great content and we're seeing more and more of it today you were a judge with us jeff at the first ever ficom partners and investment news advisor podcast awards I don't know about you, but I was blown away by the submissions that we got. I mean, there are really Mm -hmm. incredible advisors out there that are creating awesome content. They are in the minority. And I think that that's why this is such a big opportunity for people. Most advisors, when they think about content, they'll often think about, okay, I need to put out a monthly newsletter or I need to write some market commentary. That's very old school. That's super old school. That's about 20 years ago. But that's just where, where advisors sometimes feel most comfortable. They're not quite sure what else to do and, and really where to begin from a content perspective. So I think that while it, the, most advisors do create their, their own content in some way, I think that there's a huge opportunity to elevate that experience in a way that actually drives bottom line business growth for advisors. And then to the second question about, is this just for smaller advisors? I would say no. I think that it's for every single advisor out there that is responsible for 
business development, that's responsible for going out and finding the next client, that's responsible for prospecting. And so even at some of the large firms that are that have massive marketing departments with multi-million dollar, hundred million dollar budgets, they still have an end advisor, wealth advisor, financial advisor, financial planner that is responsible for going out and and bringing in their own clients. And so any advisor, regardless of where you're affiliated, has to really think about what content are you creating and putting out. What resonates with with I mean advisors need to know they they can't just throw everything about everything against the wall. What 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 are some of the things that work? Yeah, so th- what works is whatever is authentic to the advisor, yeah. Yeah. you know, and and that's that's where I get people advisors because I speak to advisors all the time and I love advisors and they get so frustrated with me because they really just want me to tell them the answer. <laughs> they really just want me to tell them they want a this- formula. Well, they're math yeah. guys, so many of them, right? Right. Well, and they're, they're numbers guys, you know, and and they just want to be told X plus Y equals Z. And unfortunately with marketing, that's the magic of it. Right. But you can't, I can't give you a specific answer. What I do know is that there's so much content out there today. The only thing that resonates is authenticity. And we hear a lot about authenticity. It's not just a cool marketing tactic putting out authentic content is, is hyper relevant to how consumers absorb content today. So I think about just how often you're getting pings on your phone, whether it's from Postmates or from investment news or from, you know, your bank, your phone, your mobile device is delivering content to you at such a rapid pace, 24 hours a day. So advisors are competing with all of that noise. And so what they have to think about is creating this authentic content that really allows people to understand who they are, why they do what they do, and how they can help that person. And what consumers are looking for today is they want to know about the person in the role, you know, not just the role. They want to work with someone who matches their worldviews, designations, years in the business, assets under management. Those credentials are now just table stakes. And so authenticity is really what works. And we can talk sort of about how to get to authentic content, but that's, that's the answer. I mean, it's, it's whatever content is relevant to the advisor that is also relevant and resonant to the type of client they're looking to attract. And that's, that's where the advisor needs to sit. Yeah. I mean, I can understand how you want to stand out, but I still, when you're talking about authenticity, obviously you're talking about not going with the old way of, of, uh, websites that show some rich guy sitting behind a desk or and maybe or somebody at the beach or something like that a picture of that but i write a lot of profiles on on niche advisor strategies and Mm -hmm. you you you're you don't get much more authentic than somebody that focuses on uh tattoo artists is their market or bass fishermen or something like that but yeah, Jeff, you've oh, written just for the audience. You've written a whole series, right, right of these right. niche advisor mm-hmm. profiles. You've done more than a dozen or something. Yeah, right in the past. and and they're and they they've six know, to the, twelve the months. Has been and wild. I mean, one uh, it's, hasn't been posted yet. It's the woman named her company Stripper Financial Planning. She works with people in the adult entertainment industry. I mean, <laughs> so so that's that's obviously her. That's authentic. Yeah, she's original and authentic in every way. But if most advisors are still generalist, yeah, um, how do you stand out? How do you 
how do you become authentic in your marketing? And, and we've, we're talking about kind of two different things here, Megan. And, and I know you like to be called Megan or Meg, but I've been calling you <laughs> Megan ever since I've known you. So I'm going with Megan, but um, you know, we're talking about two different things. We're talking about the content itself and how to make it authentic and original and how to make yourself stand up. And we're also talking about the distribution channels or mechanisms like, you know, whether it be a blog or a podcast or, or a email newsletter or, or whatever, right? So how, let's talk about how a generalist advisor who or expresses him or herself as authentic. Target marketing or niche marketing, you know, to the articles that you write, Jeff, has been around in this industry forever. When I got started, you know, I was a student of Richard Wildman and Bill Cates and these marketing experts at the time that were really big on defining a market usually by profession. Mm-hmm. adult entertainment as an example, or teachers, or, you know, I target entrepreneurs and that dentists, doctors, uh, exactly. dentists, pilots, doctors, yeah. right. Exactly. Um, Bruce, you obviously have worked with advisors for a long time because those are some of the, the regular well, also lucrative know. niches, right? Sure. Sure. So that's a one way to do it. If you have a real connection to those markets where that type of target marketing often falls down is when you're just looking at the the universe of potential consumers and saying, this one looks lucrative, so I'm going to go for it. Mm -hmm. Typically, people can see right through that. However, if you have a personal connection to that market, um, that's very meaningful to you, potentially some family history or prior work experience history or whatever it may be you know, then that can work. But we sort of today think of the new school of niche marketing is is really just about as an advisor, defining why you do what you do and sort of understanding what your worldviews are and what your values are and who you want to serve. And it doesn't have to be based on profession. Mm -hmm. So as an example, you could say, you know, based on sort of my upbringing and my experience, you know, we've spoken with um, an advisor, I I won't use their name, but just as an example, who watched their mom, who was a single mother, really, really struggle with finances when his mom got divorced. And, you know, the father had been the breadwinner and, and oversaw the finances. This is a, a story we've all heard a lot, but he watched his mom really struggle and it was hard for him. And, and so when he became an advisor, he really thought to himself, you know, if I can help other women not go through what my mom went through, that would be meaningful for me. And so he sort of developed this, this profile of a type of client that's, you know, they're not necessarily all housewives. But they are women who have gone through the divorce, who are feeling very, very uncertain about their finances. And the change that he wants to create is taking them from uncertainty to certainty. And so that can also be a way to develop a niche. And, and no matter how you do it, no matter how you approach it, going after the smallest addressable market is the greatest way for an advisor to be successful with their marketing. That makes advisors super nervous when I say that but it's the truth. Going after the smallest addressable market is where you're going to find the most success because you're being hyper-focused and very real. Yeah. That's what I find in a lot of these uh, niche profiles I write. I'm always surprised that 
these people, they say, I'm going, I found a niche and I continue to narrow it down. Mm -hmm. And and you're right. A lot of people would say, oh my gosh, you're, you're eliminating 99% of the population. They're like, I don't care because this is what I know the most. And this is what I like the most. If you don't narrow it down, think about who you're competing with. Right. Think about those hundred million dollar marketing budgets at the big wirehouses mm-hmm. or even, you know, at the Schwabs and Fidelity of the world that are driving right. people to their their, you know, retail branch locations. If you're saying I do think all things for all people, you're competing in this really hotly contested market. And, and I think what is really cool for financial advisors is that you don't have to be a generalist, that you can actually be quite specific in who you want to target. Um, and I think that that sort of recognition is very powerful for those advisors that are willing to sort of have the courage to say, I will define a target market. I'll tell you, Bruce and Jeff, that when we have these conversations with advisors, whether they come through our advisor education or are working with us sort of in an ongoing strategic and and tactical execution perspective, there's a lot of hesitance to to go narrow because they always say to me, well, I don't want to alienate my client base. So I don't want to put content out there that doesn't resonate for my clients. And that's valid. That's a valid fear, but it never proves out because when you're thinking about marketing, you're trying to attract new people. You've already got Mm -hmm. the clients. They're already working with you. You're a good advisor. You're really great at building relationships. If you continue to be good at what you do, be a good person, deliver a good service, those clients are going to stay with you. Hopefully they'll also continue to refer you business. But if you're trying to build beyond that organic growth cycle, which is, you know, you guys have the study and the data at Investment News that shows that that organic growth cycle is slowing pretty dramatically. If you want to go on the opposite side of referrals and think about bringing people in, you know, casting a net that's bringing people into the boat, you do have to go as narrow as possible and not worry about your clients. Because the truth is, is that if you're putting out authentic content that resonates, even if it doesn't speak directly to your clients, they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's Bruce. Like that sounds just like Bruce, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll still like it. But can you do that? Can you, I mean, we're kind of, we kind of morphed into a conversation about niche practices, but can you do that kind of marketing and not have a niche? Or are you saying that you, by, by showing more and more of yourself and the things that you care about, does that kind of create a niche organically? It doesn't have to be a niche. You know, I think we have all seen niche target marketing work really well. So as marketers, we like to talk about that, but it certainly doesn't need to be that way. And I'll give you an example. So Capital Group, Private Client Services is their RIA wealth management division. I think it's about 25 billion in assets under management. And they have private wealth advisors across the country. Mm-hmm. You can imagine that Capital Group has a very specific and well-defined and well-respected brand that is not going to be compromised Mm -hmm. no matter what. But what they've done for their private client services, wealth advisors, Mm -hmm. is they've allowed them to be very human in how they present themselves so that people in their local markets can connect with them in a very authentic way. So you can go and look online. They have these amazing videos. There's one by a guy named Coco Archibong who, I mean, his video like will move you to tears. He's talking mm-hmm. about his mother and um, he, was a, he was a professional athlete and sort of what that experience was like. But Capital Group was very, very smart in allowing their private wealth advisors to be very human and each of them very individual, 
but under sort of this bigger brand. So that's an example where it doesn't have to be niche. That's an example of if you're a, an advisor at a firm and your name isn't on the door, you know, it's mm -hmm. Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, et cetera. You still have to get out there and, and, you know, you eat what you kill. So you have to bring in clients. And that's an yeah. example of how you can do that in a way that still supports the corporate brand, which is typically very meaningful to those advisors marketing efforts. Let's talk about some of the, the, the platforms out there. I think you call them MarTech. Um, <laughs> I'm going to assume that means marketing technology yes. because I'm not as smart as you. But um, what, what are, how do you work with these kinds of companies if you want to, because they'll do pretty much anything for you, right? In terms of content. Right. So MarTech is just marketing technology. It's platforms that allow you to distribute your content across channels. So mm -hmm. in, in the independent um, and even some of more of the captive models, you've got companies like FMG, Broadridge, Hearsay Social, Snappy Kraken, and these are all really great platforms that have awesome backend compliance functionality to ensure that the advisor's I's are dotted and T's are crossed when it comes to record keeping and archiving and other compliance and advertising requirements, whether it's you know dictated by FINRA or the SEC. So you have these platforms that allow you to have websites, have email marketing solutions, automatically post on social, engage and send out videos, do all of the things. And they're incredible platforms. Mm -hmm. These platforms also tend to have libraries of content um, or what I would call like canned content. So if you're an advisor that works with FMG Suite, as an example, not only can you really easily set up a website and do email marketing and post blogs to your site and be active on social in a way that's totally compliant, you also have this library of content that you can go and access so that you don't have to create it yourself. And that's the one area where I sort of diverge with what a lot of these MarTech platforms who are great partners of ours are doing, because I just have never in my almost 20 years in the industry seen canned content work. Mm -hmm. In fact, and this is one of the super <laughs> ugly stories, you know, I have on more than one occasion, I think I've counted four occasions where I have had advisors in different geographic markets send me the exact same newsletter on the exact same day. And I know that if it happens for me, it happens for others. And it's just, it's generic. You can tell mm -hmm. the advisor hasn't written it. You can tell that it's not meaningful. It's just, hey, I needed to get something out this week. So I went into this library, I pulled it and I sent it. And there are a lot of, you know, marketing influencers in our industry that will tell you, you know, they'll razzle dazzle you with statistics and about when and how and where. And, and, and the truth is, is that marketing is usually much more intuitive than what a lot of marketing influencers will say. Mm -hmm. um, but canned content never works. And it's just because you didn't write it. It's not meaningful to you. And people today can see right through that. Brands outside of our industry specifically are doing a phenomenal job of creating these human connections through their marketing efforts. And what, what brands today are doing is they're actually really putting their consumer at the heart of their marketing efforts instead of the brand. They're creating communities. They're focused on engagement. That's why we see a lot of like social influencers and influencer marketing, marketing gaining a lot of popularity. Um, but that's why I think, you know, while these marketing technology platforms are phenomenal and helping advisors sort of have the, the, the motor, 
Um, what they are not going to help you do is create meaningful content. Megan, if you're, you know, LPL or Morgan Stanley and combined, that's like 35 to 40,000 financial advisors, right? Mm -hmm. You are part of FINRA and you got to get all your advertising has to be approved through this antiquated system. And they regard broker correspondence, advisor correspondence, or let's say IA rep correspondence as advertising, mm -hmm. right? I feel bad for these advisors, you know, who are at these big firms and, you know, want to be more engaged in this and then, you know, have to go through this uh, antiquated rigmarole to put out a tweet. Mm -hmm. you know, that is probably not their own or by the time compliance has gotten through with it, you know, the joke is gone or the moment is gone or the spontaneity is gone and the charm is gone. I feel bad for those advisors too, because I think that they're really handicapped in, in how they're going to be able to talk to, to people on that side or oh, all the time, what? Mm -hmm. all the time. What is their, what is your sense of them and how they're feeling about marketing? Is it, or having a, a face in the community, you know, or a face on Facebook, even, you know, or a voice on Facebook or, or Twitter or something. Yeah. I mean, we see all of it. I think that there is a lot of benefit to working with, an LPL or a Merrill Lynch, right. or they have tremendous brand recognition and they have marketing machines that are doing a lot on a daily basis to elevate the brand recognition. That's incredibly beneficial. So for advisors that are in a type of, you know, mode where it works for them to really focus on just referrals sort of growing from within, they're very happy with what they're able to do. You know, they typically can have some type of a website, whether it's just a page that lives under the chassis of the corporate brand, they're able to be somewhat active on social media, where we find a significant amount of frustration is in those advisors that want to sort of break beyond that mold, that are hungry, that want to grow at a faster pace, that have something really interesting to say, and they want to say it. And they're essentially handcuffed because right. their compliance departments are have put rules and processes and procedures in place for the lowest common denominator, which make <laughs> them just very, very strict. What would the lowest common denominator in, in that kind of, you know, advisor audience marketing be? The, well, I'll tell you, the lowest common denominator in that type of advisor audience will be the guy who December 15th rolls around and he's going to sell a senior, a variable annuity so that he can make his incentive trip. And so he sends out some ridiculous type of correspondence about guaranteed rates. Right. And I told you that I got started in, in the insurance broker dealer world and I saw the super ugly and I saw a lot of that super ugly mm. on a regular basis. So that's what compliance departments, and I get it, you know, they have right. to cover their bases too. So they're going to put processes and systems in place where that doesn't happen. And what that does is that hurts the honest ethical advisor who has something interesting to say, because to your point, Bruce, they have to go through so many approval processes that by the time something gets approved, it's no longer relevant. There mm -hmm. are ways to get around that. And I will say that what we're seeing today from some of those more captive environments is a, is a much greater appetite for rewarding top advisors and incentivizing top advisors. And one of those incentives being a different compliance marketing approval path. Huh. So because you're a top advisor, however, you know, the financial institution decides to define right. that top advisor, right. you're going to be carved out and you're going to be given special privileges. You may even be allowed to do a podcast where we review in arrears, which means you run with your podcast 
I'm the compliance department. I'm going to review it after it goes live because I'm comfortable and confident enough in your capabilities. And if something was off, we'll talk about it. And then it's sort of like a, you know, three strikes you're out system, but we are seeing a lot of um, creativity and flexibility in that way. But I would just say sort of, you know, speaking from my perspective, if you're one of those advisors, that's really frustrated because you feel like you're not able to grow your business and you're handcuffed in a way that you just can't say what you want to say when you want to say it, you should go find somewhere else because I don't think that that's going to change probably quickly enough for what advisors need to do to stay ahead of the competition from a marketing perspective. Megan, I want to go back to the canned content for a minute on, on, I mean, there are, there are, you know, there's marketing that is trying to attract clients that you're not in any way connected to right now. And there's also keeping your current clients happy or informed and in touch. And from that perspective, what's wrong with using some of these content providers for a monthly or quarterly newsletter or something like that? Because most most clients don't have more than one advisor, as long as it's decent content. And these companies, you know, the, the ones that you mentioned, they're, they're obviously in business and successful. They must be doing something that's useful, right? Absolutely. Their technology is amazing. So their ability mm-hmm. to give advisors, arm advisors with the technology to distribute their content in a way that's compliant, um, but also allows them to sort of like leverage some of the really cool digital opportunities out there today. I mean, that's where I think they should focus most of their time. To your point about client communication, I think advisors need to be very protective of their client communication because what you don't want to do is create fatigue. And if you're sending out a newsletter just to send out a newsletter and that's it, you just like, I'm an advisor. So I'm going to send out a newsletter. I don't know. I don't care if my clients want it. I don't care if they read it. You're actually chipping away at some of your relationship points because you're causing them to open an email and they decide whether or not it's useful to them. And if it's not useful to them, it's annoying. And I have a financial advisor. I've had three different financial advisors over the last 10 years. And I obviously am biased because this is what I do for a living, but I, and my husband too, can see right through the canned content. It's like, they didn't write this. This isn't for me. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You know, like I can guarantee you at the end of every single year, those, those, there's going to be an article about required minimum distributions at the end Mm -hmm. of the year. When it comes to tax time, you're going to get all the stuff about taxes. When there's, you know, something that changes in an estate planning regulation, you're going to get the estate planning latest and greatest. I'm 39 years old. My husband and I don't care that much about estate planning right now. I'm an entrepreneur and a small (laughs) business owner. We have small children. So I care about how my financial advisor is going to help me as an entrepreneur. Right. And so like, that's what I want to hear. Um, so I do think it matters because I think you can create fatigue with your clients. I think that you can chip away at some relationship points and you're also not going to do yourself any favors from a referral perspective. Now think about it from the opposite end of the coin. And I'll give you an example, Jeff, you know, Emlyn miles Mattingly because he won the diversity yep. category in the advisor podcast awards. And his podcast right. is called minority money. And his mission is to change the complexion of wealth. And he started the podcast as a challenge to himself to do it for 52 weeks. And what he's found is that his conversion ratio, his close ratio is in the high nineties, which is insane. And people are coming to him because of his podcast. And so where his podcast works really well from a client communication perspective is his clients are such raving fans of his that they are happy. They are eager. They are hungry Mm -hmm. to send his podcast episodes to their friends. They're proud to say, this is my advisor. 
So think about from a referral perspective, if you have those types of raving fans that love your content because it's so meaningful that they want to send it to every single person in their network, that's so much more powerful than just going into a library and saying, I need to select four articles. Here's one on RMDs. Here's one on tax planning strategies. Here's one on New Year's resolutions. Send. I hear what you're saying. I mean, it make, I mean, I will say I get a, uh, a newsletter from my, uh, my electric company every month and with my bill. <laughs> and, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm new here. I've only lived in this part of the world for two years. Mm. I read that thing like cover to cover. My wife's always like, why don't you just throw that thing away? I'm like, cause it's interesting. There's, there's recipes in there. They tell you where there's going to be like a festival. You know, I'm like, I didn't know this stuff. And I know it wasn't written by the you know person sending me the bill. I'm, I don't know. I've, I'll take that as long as it doesn't exhaust me, but I don't get stuff like that from a financial advisor because I don't have a financial advisor. What kind of recipes does the power company recommend? Uh, it, well, it, 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 well, I live here in North Carolina, so it's always something deep fried. You know what I mean? But who cares? You know what I mean? I don't cook them all. I don't cook any of them, but I read them. And they make me hungry. Anyway, Megan, you know, I, I think about all this stuff and you, you talked about the, the podcast and the, the efforts, the, the good examples of, of what can do and what can really, really draw but I look at this and I think, Megan, man. hold on, Jeff. I'm sorry to interrupt. What was that gentleman's name again? Who won the? His name is Emlyn Miles Mattingly, and his podcast is called the Minority Money Podcast. So if you know listeners want to look that up, they can find that on Apple or Spotify. Exactly. Or whatever, right? yeah. And, and okay, with that great. endorsement from Megan, maybe we got to get him on the podcast, Bruce. You should. He's him. incredible. Uh, yeah. I don't want to be put to shame. You know, this guy <laughs> well, sounds like a like a beast like, like an all-time goat or something yeah, he might he might he might make us look bad but most of our guests do right bros we're just we're just the, the people asking questions um so so megan i, I want to ask about you know that the example of that and then i think of josh brown right josh brown is to me he's like he he he's kind of like the original promoter he's the og and, yeah. and, he is and yeah. i I think about him and I remember talking to him years ago in a, he came into our newsroom. Oh man, it must've been 10 years ago or something like that. Longer and, dude. And somebody asked him, somebody had the guts to ask him, you know, well, how much time do you spend on financial planning and working with clients when you have so much time that you do on blogging and blah, blah, all that. And he got a little bit irritated. He goes, I don't play golf. I don't do fantasy football. This is what I do. And, you know, but I'm still, if you think about him, he's on TV all the time and all this other stuff. How much time do you have to spend on this stuff to be where it is so good that you're actually attracting clients based on your persona? And in addition to, you know, as we're talking to our audience of financial advisors, in addition to how much time they have to spend, how much money do they have to spend on marketing? Well, we don't all have to be Josh Brown. And, you know, I think that that's, <laughs> that's important for- I think Josh would say, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's this, there's this, you know, hashtag FinTwit community that has really risen in popularity oh, yeah. in recent years. And, you know, I, I see a lot of advisors who sort of have this, like they feel a little bit left out. Um, it's sort of become this like cool club. And the truth is, is that you don't have to be that. You don't have to be Michael Kitsis with a million Twitter followers. Th that works for them because that is very- Well, that's their authentic thing, right? It's their authentic thing. It's very Kitsis authentic is, to them. Michael Kitsis is authentic. Josh Brown is authentic, is, I think. Right. right. Like when you meet Josh Brown in person, you can, and then you read his content, you can almost feel him in the room. I mean, it's brilliant what he does. And so exactly, Bruce, it works for him because it's very him mm -hmm. and he's 
super passionate about it. He would not spend that much time doing it if he hated every minute of it. And he has made a business model that works with the type of time commitment and monetary commitment it takes to produce content that regularly. Mm-hmm. And, and, every, and he's recruited in like-minded advisors, right? These bloggers, absolutely, right? Absolutely. And they're attracting a type of client right. that expect that type of content and that love that type of content. Right. And same with Kitsis and, and others, but you don't have to do that. You don't even actually have to be on social media as a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. You have to be where the people are that you want to attract. So we call that your who, wherever your who hangs out, that's where you need to be. Maybe it's mm-hmm. on social media. Maybe it's not, right? You don't have to overcomplicate it. But from a time and investment perspective, I think that advisors absolutely need to recognize that creating content, which is at the heart of marketing, because like I said at the top, if you don't have great content, doesn't matter what you do, your marketing's not going to work. You have to commit time to doing it. And I would say at minimum, two to three hours a week, which may sound like a lot. We might be getting close to, you know, 10% of the time to five to 10% of the time that they're spending in the office every week, Mm -hmm. but you can make your life easier by coming up with a process that's repeatable. So what might that look like for an advisor? Maybe you say you do the work to say, okay, here's why I do what I do. Here's who I do it for. Here's the change I'm trying to create. And this is the type, like, here is my sort of ethos, right? Here's my worldview. Here's the type of content that relates to all of that. So I'm going to do, I'm going to decide as an advisor that I'm going to publish a weekly blog. I'm going to do it for 52 weeks. I'm going to put it on my blog. I'm going to share it on LinkedIn and LinkedIn only. And I'm just going to see what happens. It doesn't mean that you have to spend two to three hours every week actually writing the blog post, but the ideas do have to be yours. It has to come from your own brain and your own heart. And so, but what you can do is you can find a local, or it doesn't even have to be local, but a a freelance copywriter that might charge you 50 to $75 an hour. Some of the really good ones will charge you double that and they're worth every penny, but typically it's going to be 50 to 75 bucks an hour find a copywriter. And what I do, I would do is I would take out my smartphone. When I had the idea, I'd open up an audio note. I'd record all of my thoughts without an outline, without any eloquence, without any structure. I would just download like verbal vomit into my audio note. And then I would send it to the copywriter and I would have them write the blog. And that takes time to develop a relationship, to find the person you have to manage that relationship, but that's like the, the simplest and most cost-effective way to so do a it. So ghostwriter. Ghostwriter. Mm-hmm. Then there's more uh, costly ways to do it, but they take less of your time and you don't have to quarterback the process. And that would be working with a, a creative agency or an agency like, like mine that will actually, you know, do a lot of the heavy lifting. That sounds expensive. It can be very expensive, but the thing that is quite the same between the two is it still has to be your idea. It has to be your voice. Mm -hmm. It has to be your intellectual capital. And so that's why agencies, you know, I always say, and I've, I've had, I've owned an agency for 10 years. We are only right for a certain type of business. That's making a certain type of investment into their marketing and looking for certain types of outcomes for the advisor that had their, their only advisor. They don't have a large uh, group of affiliated advisors. They don't have a large staff for individual advisors that are, you know, they've hung their own shingle and they're out there doing their own thing. Even if they're a, uh, a part of a larger, you know, like let's just use Merrill Lynch as an example, they, they probably don't need to work with an agency. 
But what they do need to do is develop a process that is repeatable and consistent so that they can leverage their time in the right ways to put out really great content. There is great education opportunities for those types of advisors to learn how to be really great marketers in their own right. That's what I would encourage them to do is to seek education, seek coaching, and to talk to their peers because peers will give you really great feedback. Um, about the, the content that you're creating. Um, so you have to dedicate some time. The time becomes less and less the more efficient that you get and the more of a routine it is. I'm sure you guys can probably remember before you launched this podcast, you probably spent more time prepping than you do today, right? Because you're, you have a habit and a discipline. We spend no time prepping now. As yeah, you that's usually say. fairly obvious. But. <laughs> Really good stuff, Megan. Um, is there is there anything we, we kind of left off the table here in our discussion? I, I, I don't know if you want to talk at all about uh, SEO with um, with with websites, uh, because that's something that also comes up with the niche advisors that I talk to. Interestingly enough, a lot of the people I profile in this niche advisor series are are younger and they're you know often in their 20s. And they're they're savvy enough to create their own websites, and they are, are constantly tweaking the, the SEO or tweaking it for SEO. Is that something that that it, you would put into the kind of the aegis of this as well? Listen, every single marketing or public relations tactic relates to what we're talking about here because it uh -huh. all comes down to content. SEO has become sort of a popular, you know, buzzword within the market because people like Michael Kitsis talk about how SEO is one of the most cost-effective ways to drive people to your website. Uh -huh. What I have seen and continue to see is that most advisors don't quite understand yet how to do it. And they're, what they end up doing is they start competing for these very expensive keywords like retirement planning in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And what we see to be much more effective from an SEO perspective is to go super narrow. So don't try to compete for the biggest, most you know, costly keywords, but try to just drive a, a, a smaller portion of traffic, but the right traffic to your website. So to the adult entertainment, you know, stripper financial group, if anyone were to search for you know, financial professionals for adult entertainers, they're going to probably find her because mm -hmm. she's super specific. I'm sitting in Los Angeles. If I were to type financial management for women entrepreneurs, I'm still probably going to get a pretty broad swath. I would guarantee you that I'm going to get ads served up to me from the large financial institutions because it's not quite narrow enough. Right. So, you know, and, and SEO is sort of a whole different topic. We've written about it. If anyone wants to go search for an article on this, it's out there. Um, but you have to be very thoughtful about all of your marketing, including SEO to make sure that you're not burning dollars unnecessarily. And, and also that that's the type of marketing that's going to be the most effective for you. And we're very big on digital first and not digital only, but digital first. And so that would be something that we would definitely look at for our clients. But just because you've heard someone say that, oh, you know, I've got all this traffic coming in from my search engine optimization doesn't mean that you have to do it too. Bruce, do you have anything else or should we give uh, Megan a chance to give us her, her key takeaways? Just a couple of things. First of all, uh, congrats with the new baby. Thank you. Very exciting. Number three. Oi, oi, oi. Oi, oi, oi. <laughs> What are you, a masochist over there? I mean, jeez. <laughs> well, you know, they are five years old, two years old, and four months old. Oh, and my goodness. And we currently all have COVID. 
So I'm oh. definitely questioning some of my judgment. Um, but no, they're fantastic. Well, you have a story to tell in the future. Mm-hmm. You know? That's um, for that's for real. Just I, I had a few things coming in here, but we're running a little long. Um, so we can chat about those later. But I think what stands out to me in this conversation is just this notion of how important authenticity mm-hmm. is for the financial advisor. I think it's so for anyone who's successful in what they do in life um, in terms of their endeavor and their business endeavors or their personal endeavors or whatever. Josh Brown, getting back to Josh Brown, I think the Josh Brown story, Jeff, right, is Mm -hmm. he wanted to be, the light bulb went off over his head and he said to himself in 2008 or nine, when he was leaving the brokerage world to go to the RA world, he wanted to be the... um, the Twitter advisor, right? Or the mm-hmm. the social media advisor, I think is what he said. And so he was the first, one of the first there and the most successful at it. And it's authentic. So Megan, when you're talking to your clients and your prospects and the like, how do you get them to think about that? Like, because I think it's tough for people, right? Because we're, we're told <laughs> you go to school, you grow up, you go to school, you have to sit in a desk and I have two 15 year olds and they, they, they hate sitting in their desk all day at school, just like I did, you know, and, and, you know, you have to go to class and then you have to go to college and then you have to do, get a job and all that, you know, we're not taught or encouraged, I think, to be authentic, you know, uh, at least I wasn't in my school, <laughs> my schooling in any way, you're taught to fit in, you know, and to take tests what are one or two questions or exercises that you give to your clients and prospects about finding that authenticity or that voice or that little spark that they can be? And maybe it's on the golf course or maybe it's on a blog or maybe it's on a podcast. I'm glad you brought that up, Bruce, because that really is at the heart of all of this is, you know, how do you sort of let down the guards and and sort of break through some of the barriers to allow yourself to be the authentic you and it it's hard to do and i think especially in this industry i mean couples therapy you have couples spending thousands of dollars a year on therapy (laughs) right and it's because you (laughs) need more authentic you you know yeah yeah um and so i think that that that's probably one of the the biggest challenges but what we take our um so I, i we have an advisor education platform where we teach advisors how to be really great marketers in their own business and they they do the execution and it's a really affordable entry point and our sort of passion there is that we want to help to just elevate them, give them the confidence and to help them find their authentic self. So what we do is we take them through a process where we ask them three questions. I've said them a couple of times on this podcast, but I'll say them again. And the first one is to ask themselves, why do you do what you do? Why are you an advisor? Why you, why do clients choose you? Why do they stay with you? Why do you get up in the morning? Like what's your personal story that got you into this business that keeps you in this business and that helps you to create great connection with your clients. So it's the, why do you do what you do? And then it's, who do you do it for? And, and we've talked about getting really specific there. So really defining like a set of worldviews that, that you believe in, like, what is your belief system? And then trying to find people who fit into that belief system. And then it's just about finding out where those people hang out. And, and that's really where I do think it's much more intuitive than what most marketing professionals have led you to believe. 
Um, but that's to my point about, we don't all have to be Michael Kitsis. We don't all have to be Josh Brown. We do not all have to be famous on Twitter. We do not all have to have a YouTube channel. We do not all have to have a podcast. We have to be ourselves. We have to right. do what works for us. But and I think so, that's counterintuitive, right? To use that phrase. Yeah. I mean, because some, I think a lot of advisors would say, oh, but I have to be that guy. Right. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a young female that grew up in a predominantly male dominated industry. I'm still breaking the shackles of trying to show up in a room in a way that I thought people wanted me to show up because I wasn't respected and my opinion wasn't valued. I'm still, I'm still backing out of that. And, and so, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do. And that's why I said earlier, like seek peer experiences, seek peer feedback, seek Mm. coaching, seek education, because it's much easier to do it with, with a group of people who support you than it is to do it alone. Um, But I think that it can be, it can be simple when you allow yourself to go there. I'll give you a quick example. There's a gentleman in the Northern Virginia area named Tom West, and his company is called Life Care Affordability Planning. And he has a very personal story about watching his father-in-law go through cognitive decline and the financial stress and, and disaster that sort of happened when the primary decision maker from a financial perspective no longer had his wits about him. It changed the trajectory of Tom West's career to the point where he now only works with families who are facing financial hardship and struggling with decision-making because the financial decision-maker is no longer cognitively there. Right. And it's so personal to him that even 20 years later, when Tom talks about it, he still gets emotional. And that's where I think if you can just have the courage, every advisor that I've ever talked to has such a cool story, but they don't tell that story right away. You have to keep asking, but why, but why, but tell me more about that. No, but go back to that part and tell me why you have to dig really deep to get there. But if you do, I mean, the, the alignment that you'll find is life-changing for your business This is where I'm going to get a little woo on you guys, but truly like the alignment that you can find will give you so much success beyond just marketing success, but just having that courage and confidence to say, this is who I am. This is why I do what I do. And this is who I want to work for. That's how you're going to unlock that authenticity. And then it's a journey that never ends. Oh, that's great stuff. Yeah. All good stuff. We can wrap it up. I got, I got more than I need. I I cannot wait to start marketing myself after I get done (laughs) reading my, my electric company newsletter. (laughs) You're going to have to share some of those recipes with us, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, maybe. I, I do see that there's a uh, there's a sledgehammer beach run on February 5th. I wouldn't have known that if I didn't read it. Yeah, well, see, they know that that's what you're into. There you go. <laughs> maybe one time we could we could do some live coaching. If you ever come across an advisor that is struggling to be authentic and struggling to understand their sort of why, bring us on and we'll do live coaching and you'll see what we mean. Wow, that would be fun. That would be a different way to do this. Mm-hmm. We should try that, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Hey, why not? <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for being here. Thanks thank for taking you, Megan. the Megan. Really appreciate it. That was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. If it's Monday, it's time for another podcast. We want to thank our special guest, Megan Carpenter. We also want to thank our producer, Angelica Hester. Of course, you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Reach out to Jeff on Twitter. 
via at Benji Ryder, me, I'm at BD News Guy. Stay tuned because we'll be talking to you next week. Thank you.